you know what you should be rooting for to happen in order to have incredible performance of an equity holding of yours, Diggles? You got any ideas? You want it to drop, 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 and then go all in, baby. No, man. You want China to so-called ban it. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. So, Doogles, what's happening today? It's an important day 20 years ago, and today. It is. It is. It is remembrance. Do you remember what, where you were what you were doing? Oh, exactly. Exactly. I was working at The Gap and was doing uh, inventory. So it's like early shift. My shift started at 7 a.m. Mountain time. So 9 a.m. Eastern yeah. time. And I walk in get a few minutes early, you know, clock in or whatever. And I'm in the back. And then my boss was like, dude, come up here. So yeah, I remember vividly. And we were just sitting there watching the TV. And I was trying to call my, my peeps in New York and nothing was going through. Yeah. What a time. What a time. Yeah, so stressful, man. I I love all your stories. Uh, your odd jobs up are like so much fun for me. From Dollar General or Dollar Tree to the Gap to like, I mean, these are awesome. I've done it all. It, was man. it a Monday? I think it was a Monday in my memory. It was. Yeah, at least it, that's that's the way I remember it too. We could look that up pretty easily, okay. but yeah, in my memory, is a Monday. So let's just stamp it as a Monday. What about you? So I was laying in bed sleeping in my dorm room and. Some random dude I I've never met and don't even know walked into our room while we were sleeping and turned on the TV. And that was it. Like he didn't say anything. He just turned on the TV, and it didn't matter obviously what channel he turned it on to. It didn't like. And then we just like woke up to it in bed, and I don't remember the rest of the day at all. So remember. many times. Remember. Otherwise, what's up? Well, I'm pretty good, dude. Do you know the three most controversial things that we appear to have talked about on the podcast? It's according to whom? According to, the feed, according to the feedback I get. Okay, because the president of China, I could probably name what's some of the controversial <laughs> things that, that he would say. But no, what's, what's the feedback? I mean, back when I broke down the top pizzas in your college town, that caused some definite uh, discussion among the listeners. It did. Uh, twins. I, I didn't tell you this, but I got so much feedback on twins. I had some twins reach out, and that was really fun. So let's not talk about twins anymore. That that's trouble for us. But <laughs> listen, Vegas, man, Vegas is like, whoa! I got people reaching out, like you, being like, oh hey, can you put a hundred bucks on black for me? And and all these other texts, I as soon as it was known that I was in Vegas, I was getting texts galore like, hey, can you throw some cash down? Or like, I love that place. It is a wonderful and divisive location. I yeah, mean, definitely. I just never knew how like divisive it was. Not for me. Not for me. I got one view tunnel vision when it comes to Vegas. <laughs> the people that are in are all in on Vegas. Mm-hmm. That's what oh, I'm trying to say. My goodness. Just like, like just thinking about it. It overcomes me with joy. Like I'm I'm looking at yeah, plants right now. I can see it, man. I saw it I saw it last week. I see it this week. It's like mm. you're a whole different man when you're thinking about Vegas. I'm concerned about you, to be honest. Yeah, you should be. In many respects. That's like the least of your worries. So but what you're saying is the most controversial parts of our discussions have come with things that are least relevant to 
our, our discussions. Whoa, hold on. Least relevant. Pizza is most relevant to no. all these conversations. Fair enough. Except um, for the pizza. That's the exception. <laughs> no, I just love it. And keep the keep the feedback coming. Uh, we love hearing from you. It's it's funny the things that catch me by surprise. We've definitely got some like hardcore investing questions and and a lot of other stuff related to investing in finance. But some of the stuff that I we're just joking around uh, really seems to have people engaged, which cracks me up, and I love it. So if we shift gears and talk a little about investing, um, there's a book that came out this week that looks really good, and it's called Exponential. It's by, I hope I say this name right, Azim Azhar. He's based in London, good author. This was in Wired UK that he gave um, an excerpt of the book. The article's called The Exponential Age Will Transform Economics Forever. Thought this was really good. Maybe the best thing I read this week, and I want to spend some time getting your thoughts. So the basic hypotheses here, I'll try and reset, and then I'll give you some interesting facts and, and get your thoughts along the way. In our current age, with technology that we have today, and you generally think about like the Facebooks and the Googles and stuff, you see these companies grow really, really slow to start as they build the foundation for the technology that can be adopted. And then once... Uh, the network effect takes place where you get critical mass with a user base and it can be that same foundation, that same technological foundation can be used over and over. You can see these exponential growth curves, which are hard for humans to comprehend and also hard to really think about if you're used to like a manufacturing legacy. So if you think about like a Ford or a GM or a more traditional company in the early 1900s, it's, you know, parts and labor in to products out in a fairly linear way, right? Yep. Humans have a hard time thinking non-linearly. Is what that's the summary. Yeah. Of what you just well, said. Well, right? exactly. But the reason that that didn't used to be a problem really because our companies grew linearly and a lot of the things we consumed we consumed linearly. Uh, I see a, a look when I said companies grew linear. I don't mean companies grew linearly. I mean inputs related to outputs within companies in a fairly linear fashion i have a, I have a hard time with that but okay. but keep going keep going i have a hard time with it so if you believe that hypothesis and and i think i'm a little bit with you i'm still on the fence about it but i think i understand the argument he's trying to make as it relates to 2021 verse 1950 right I, and i think we all would it's a different place with the technological technological foundation that isn't in place. So the first thing he talks about, you mentioned it, you jumped to it, right? So the exponential processes are counterintuitive and humans really struggle with this. Uh, there's a thing that psychologists actually call exponential growth bias. And it basically just relates to the fact that people are befuddled by compound growth with savings, loans, and pension plans. And this is one of the reasons that investing is so hard for folks because it's really hard. I'll use rough numbers here. It's really hard to be like, to human brain to understand if I put a dollar in the bank now, that's actually worth like $5, 25, 30 years from now. It you just, the brain doesn't really work that way. Who was it? I'm going to attribute this to Buffett because he just like, I just attribute anything to him that I <laughs> I don't know which investor said it, but there was there was an anecdote that I read about. I don't know if it was an article or podcast or something like that. That someone said that um, they like walked into a classroom to teach them about money and to pull out a dollar and said, "How much is this worth?" And the kids in the class were like, "It's a dollar." And then 
Buffett. And it actually wasn't Buffett. I'm pretty I sure. think it I was, was Marks, maybe, uh, or <laughs> Greenblatt. But anyway, it might have been. Yeah, yeah. It feels like more of a Howard Marks thing. And yeah. um, and he said, "Oh no, this is actually twenty five dollars in forty years." It was like so- something like along those lines. I think that's the, but that's not naturally where the brain goes. Fully agree. Yeah. So Love he it. demonstrates a couple examples of this, and it, it we've t- I've hated on forecasting before, but this solar regulatory body called the IEA tried to make forecasts of how solar adoption would grow. And so in 2009, they said it might get to five gigawatts. And it turns out that the actual number in 2009 was eight gigawatts. So in 2010, they revised the forecast to eight gigawatts. It turned out the actual value was 11 gigawatts. This continued every, every year for the next six years where this agency consistently underestimated the growth of solar because the costs of solar were dropping exponentially and therefore the adoption was growing in a somewhat exponential fashion so like you just see examples of this go ahead i yeah the other thing i throw in is there's a part of this that is the the linear versus exponential breakdown and then there's a part of it that has to do with uh, externalities that are unpredictable the systematic nature of the world has so many variables that come in that it's not like there's a single thing that's growing exponentially. It's there, there are multi variables that are feeding into it, which can impact that linear or exponential change. And I I think that that, that's like another like important component to it. Very true. Yeah. So the, the antidote he uses there, and I've heard this before, but I'd forgotten about it. I bet you know this one, but do you know why uh, chewing gum sales have dropped 15% since 2007? Go for it the mass adoption of smartphones so people stare at their smartphones when they're in line at the checkout therefore they don't i mean this is the hypothesis anyway they don't look around buy a candy bar buy some gum it, it impacted it's, a, it's, a full exactly. industry so yeah check this article out in wired uk it's free if you're interested i'm gonna read the book and i'll get back to you on that but i thought it was really the best thing i read this week and i love the hypothesis um it's it will make you think critically whether it's 100 right or not I even find that when people, even when people understand that, that it's hard to think nonlinearly, our estimates of what is exponential are so far off, right? Like we, we'll say it's going to be exponential growth. So just multiply it by 50 and you go, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. okay, that's, that's like the flywheel takes longer than that to, you know, to pick up. So yeah. It, well, but, but and the, I mean, the reason for that, right, is when you get to the, the far right of the exponential growth curve, like you can be doubling in whatever your time period is, like days or years. So, yeah, your 50 could be right, you know, 25 years out and you, you could be off by a factor of 100, like 35 years out. You know, like it just broken clock is right twice a day. I love it. I love it. But you almost have to sit down, do the math on a spreadsheet, which no one wants to do. And that's not how the human brain works. The human brain is made of all these hacks to try and process things quickly when we need to. And exponential growth just doesn't work for that. Thank you as but, always for your book records. Yeah. So let's do two quizzes before we jump into the fishbowl, because uh, I just want to keep the heat on you today, Deagles. Uh The first one, <laughs> a fun one. I'm not, I'm not even going to call it a quiz. Um, a book I read this week is called The Art of Nonconformity. And I'm not going to give this a, a a full recommendation. It had some some pros and some cons. I, I'd say uh, there's other books you can spend your time with. But I like the way this guy thinks in a way. He runs a really popular blog by the same name. 
And it's about thinking about things differently to try and hack the system. The way he does that is he travels the world and works independently. And, and so, you know, he, he will talk to you about how you can use points to fl for free, how you can buy an around the world ticket to uh, save money on airfare, how you don't have to pay for hotels. If you do, you know, it's like all that sort of stuff. Um, it how it you sounds like a, a, like a, a take on what Tim Ferriss does, but like a, a different, I, I think know. it's a similar realm, right? So he had this thing that I like. Again, I'm not going to give this like my full stamp of approval, but I want your thoughts. He has a list of 11 things to do if you want to be unremarkably average. All right. You ready for these? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fire, fire away. I love it. First is you accept what people tell you at face value. Second is you don't question authority. Third is you go to college because you're supposed to and not because you want to learn something. Fourth is you go to overseas once or twice in your life to somewhere safe like England. I love that. There's like there's so much hate behind to somewhere safe like England. <laughs> Any thoughts yet? So my, my initial thought is actually that uh, doing the opposite of these things is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> probably. I mean, yeah. probably. It, it's always a balance in life. Yeah. Keep going. I love these. Uh, don't try to learn a, another language. Eventually, everyone else will learn English. Think about starting your own business, but never do it. I can relate to that one, right? There's a lot of people that have a, a business idea, but have a hard time pulling the trigger. Uh, think about writing a book, but never do it. I also have a, a book in the back of my, in the cobwebs of my head Ooh. that I haven't written yet. Get the largest mortgage you can qualify for and spend 30 years paying it off. That one's interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, our, our friend in the middle of this country that you, whose podcast you love, uh, would certainly agree with that one. Wait, which friend is that? What's his name? Gordon? What the heck is that guy's name? The, uh, the number one, like, finance podcast. Oh, Ramsey. 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 Gordon Ramsey. Uh, not Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I will always I get that wrong. I can't remember his first name now. What's his, is it what's his first name? <laughs> this is Bob. It is not Jeff. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like the Dave, most popular Dave. Dave, the most popular finance podcast. We can't even remember the guy's name. Dave tells Gordon you how much Ramsey. we love his advice. Okay, sit at a desk for 40 hours a week and average 10 hours of productive work. Ooh, a little shade being thrown there. Don't stand out or draw attention to yourself and jump through hoops and check off boxes. You get that actually that list of 11 things tells you the whole book like that that the tone of that is the tone of the whole book. It'd be interesting to come up with like the list of um, if you want to get well, what was the list called again? Uh, incredibly mediocre. <laughs> what was the list? Yeah. Unremarkably average. Yeah. Those are the things it's, you want like, to do if you it, want to be unremarkably average. If you want unremarkably average investment returns. <laughs> like here are the list of things um, we should make our but, own list yeah there's probably the things you should do is, is like ironically it's like that well and is that list? some of that the like the shade around the 30-year mortgage it's sure he says get the largest largest mortgage you can afford but like let's not pretend everyone in this country owns a home like you might be better off than average if you own a home, you know? No, I know that. Well, um, that's kind of the thing is that this, this list, like by its very nature has an elitist mentality. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like, fair. Like don't go travel to a safe place. Like a only what a third of America has a passport. 
like go travel anywhere you can like is like yeah. another you know what i like, mean like, that if you can go like, only a third of people have a bachelor's degree like go to college if it's possible like i think yeah. that there there is like a i'm you know i'm getting used to you told me you were gonna start bring the heat and you did i'm gonna calm myself down Woosa. No, nah, it was Lisa. just an interesting thought experiment yeah, for me this it week, is. but it doesn't have my full recommendation behind it. So uh, let's move on to quiz number two. You know what you should be rooting for? Actually, this is perfect for you because I didn't even see the tie into <laughs> Tall Education Group until just now. Um, oh, no, why? Why? I just closed up my wounds. <laughs> you know what you should be rooting for to happen in order to have incredible performance of an equity holding of yours, Diggles? You got any ideas? You want it to drop, 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 and then go all in, baby. No, man. You want China to so-called ban it. This is an interesting thing I saw this week from Dan Moorhead. Dan Moorhead runs uh, Panera Capital, I think. No, Pantera. I don't know. Like the bread company? (laughs) It's neither of those. Gordon Ramsay's bread company? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Hold on. Give me one second. Yeah, Pantera. Pantera Capital, uh, more like the band than the bread company. So he this thing, he's a Bitcoin bull, so take it with a grain of the, the salt. But I thought picking the facts this way was super interesting. And I'll, I'll call it cherry picking, but it just was hilarious. He says, this is the returns since China bans disruptive tech. So he says, of Twitter, it's 5,000% China banned Twitter in uh, middle of 2009. They did the same in Facebook, and Facebook's return since the time is 16,000%. They banned Google in March of 2010, about 1,000% return since then. They banned Snapchat in June of 2013. Snapchat's returns are 15,000% since then. And they've effectively banned Bitcoin three different times. The returns of all those times have been very solid as well. Isn't this a hilarious yeah, take? I, lo- I love this. I love this. I wonder what were the returns prior to banning, or maybe you can't even say returns. Oh, there might no, not be dude. Enough. This is right. so I'm not. Dan is a smart guy and he does uh, good research on Bitcoin and stuff. So I'm not throwing shade. But no, that's not how this is presented. It's not like that before. I know. And after. It's just, it's it's just, just like this, uh, this PowerPoint slide that uh, you could put in front of investors and be like, Bitcoin makes tons of sense right now because China mm-hmm. banned it for the third time. This reminds me, there was some point, uh, maybe like two or three months ago, do you remember I was sitting around on like a Saturday looking at uh, stock charts because who doesn't do that on their Saturday? And I was taking uh, screenshots and sending them to you. And I was like, dude, look at this investment. And you were like, why don't you extend the time frame? And I know like, just look, 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 look at this, this period. Right? I love cherry picking. This is great. Oh, that's fun. All right. What's your fishbowl? One thing that's been sitting in my, my mentals uh, for this week after I read it because of the psychology that it presents as a Wall Street Journal article called What You've Lost in This Bull Market. Uh, short article, go out, read it. We'll, we'll throw it on the, on the tweets. Um, so it's Jason Swig. Uh, to sum it up, what, what he's saying is that this bull market has, especially in the last year, has caused people to basically just view the stock market as a, like a never-ending cycle of, return, of positive returns that people are now seeking out risk as opposed to just taking on the involuntary risk that naturally kind of comes. And this goes along with a little bit of Tina too. He doesn't bring up Tina, but there is no alternative where he's saying uh, one of the things that he brought up, and I actually, there's a, there's a question I have in here for you. Cause I, I don't 
believe the psychology that he said that I have to have <laughs> in this that I have, but like the next sentence in the article says, you won't believe that you have it, but you do. And so I didn't, I was kind of stuck, but let me throw this out there. So what he was saying was, uh, he said, the epic recovery from the COVID crash of early 2020 has made it all but impossible for most of us to reconstruct how afraid we were only a year and a half ago. Try recalling how frightened you felt as an investor in February and March of 2020. Now, when I read that, I get the, I get what he's saying, right, broadly. When I read that, uh, what I remember from March of 2020 was like excitement as an investor. I mean, I, I had, I'd built out like spreadsheets of looking, I bought so much during that period of time, but I was frightened as a human, very frightened as a human being, as an investor, not as much. But uh, anyway, let me, let me pause. Yeah, I mean, like, I think three episodes ago or something, you mentioned that um, during that time, you and your wife went went back through the like your credit card statements and looked for recurring expenses and stuff tried to kind of tighten your belt that way i think that is the reference there i certainly was kind of excited about deals but i felt i felt the market was pretty expensive in like february of 2020 so even after the 20 30 percent drop like i didn't really see much that got me super excited but there were th some things that i started to get interested in you and i are weird that way right i mean very few people get excited when the financial world is falling apart but i think that's what he's referencing is there was like as a human that is tied into most people's financial life and i'm with you like it didn't get to the point where i was concerned about my investment if anything i was more excited about buying opportunities but if the drop would have gone maybe another 20 percent, i could see how that psyche would be really tough to pull off the other thing um this got me thinking about was one of the things that gives me that mentality, but also probably has some kind of a shelf life, we've discussed this a little bit too, is that in, in a Buffett style, like America will come back. I have, whether it's conscious or unconscious, but I'm saying it, so it's somewhat conscious. I have a belief that there will be a bottom and things will come back. Like that is like a, it's yeah. inherent in, in the, I'll just call it the lack of fear in these things and being able to see it as a deal. And, and you, you've sent over like Greece, right? And other Spain, I think, yeah. right? Other stock markets where that's not necessarily the case, but that, that's what it is for me. And at some point, maybe that isn't true, but that's why I, I see these as temporary, even if it's two, three year temporary, it's temporary. That's good perspective. I mean, it is hard. Um, Morgan Hassel talks a lot about how an entire generation's perspective towards investing is shaped a lot of times around what the stock market does when they're in their 20s and they start paying attention to it. I completely agree with you there. But until, I don't know, 15 years ago, it, it never really registered with me that there are entire stock markets that do go to zero. It's not, it, if you grow up in America, it's hard to fathom that because it does, it has always rebounded. But and I think that will be the case in America unless things really fall off the rails. But it's, I think just that's an important fact to know. And I don't know that everyone knows it. There's no guarantee just because you invest in a wide range of index that's related to a country, country or region that it does not go to zero. That's a possibility there. Yeah, this, uh, I'm going to double dip fishbowl on you. Apologies. Sorry, not sorry. But there's this other article that I read um, it's called inequality, interest rates, aging, and the role of central banks that that reminds me of a little bit too, because what this article looks at, it talks mostly about interest rates and it looks at how interest rates over the last few decades, as we all know, have just been going down, down, down. 
And effectively, the question that it raises is, isn't that bad for society? It says this from a, a, a few different angles. And I think it's just it's an interesting thought experiment that, well, it raises the question of when do interest rates go up? When do they go down and oversimplifies, right, just for the sake of article. But when do interest rates go up? The interest rates go up, right, when when the economy is doing really well. Like when you have when people are overspending, then inflation might hit you increase interest Ooh, rates. I mean, historically, th this last 10 years as to what I thought I knew about interest rates in American society is totally flipped it on its head that things have effectively been going up since like late 2009. And what have interest rates done? Interest rates have stayed really, really low. But yeah, because but that, that, we're always fighting some new crisis. That's not really a crisis. This is this is the whole thing is that things have not actually been going up and up and up. Like when you when you say things, if you look at like the core economy, our GDP yeah. growth isn't anything to be proud of. And that that's the that's the core economy. But so I oh, think you're the, talking about the things now. I see not those things, but the other things. The the things the things past the things. <laughs> no, but no, this is, this okay. is, go, go, go. Yeah, th th this is partially the point is that when when an economy is doing really well, naturally, that can lead to inflation, too much money chasing too few goods. So you raise interest rates such that there is lower access to capital. So people might spend less, right? Get that under control. And so the question that's being raised is if interest rates are going down for that long, isn't there like a serious question you should be asking about the core strength of the economy, the country, et cetera? Like that's what it looks at it from a few different angles, but like that's one of the angles that, yeah. that and it was just, it's an interesting thought experiment. It goes back, Whoa. sorry, throughout one more thing that uh, there's this question that's been sitting in my mind for a little while. Are we actually in the Great Depression, the second Great Depression, except that we are, we've been trying to spend our way out of it for 12 years, but that is all else being equal where we are right now. Ooh, who's an expert on that? I'd like to talk about that. Milton Friedman's no longer with us. So I tried, I, I tried to bring him on, but yeah, I know. It's just Dougals? Is this, is this I'm a, not, a I Dougals just raised hypothesis? questions. Yeah, let's, we might have to come back to that one next week. I need to, I need to do some reading on that. Mm. It's an interesting it's question. Make my head explode over here. It's an interesting question. Can I drop one other thing from this article? It's, that's been, oh, please. Now it's, yeah. a, it's a little different, but it brings up uh, inequality. And the inequality part of the article is saying that when what we've talked about happens, right, where you have the ultra wealthy who are effectively putting uh, lower income folks into debt, right? You know, remember we talked about that, uh, I don't know, six or seven weeks ago. Yeah, um, but I, and not, I don't mean directly. That is like sentence you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say it a little too aggressively. But what, what one of the things this article says is in a highly unequal global economy, the ultra rich lend everyone else the money they need to buy the goods and services sold by the businesses the ultra rich own. And it becomes this interesting cycle where you're, the people that are borrowing the money happen to be lower income. And in a world where wages are going down, in order to spend, you have to borrow. And in order for that borrowing to be possible and sustainable, interest rates also have to be low. And because when you raise interest rates, now it all kind of falls apart. And that is not inherently a sustainable situation. What's interesting here with, with where our economy is, is that over the last few quarters, wages have increased more than they increased for decades. And so yeah. I, 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 I buy in at least conceptually to what the article is saying in that world where wages are decreasing and the world where wages are increasing, 
it's kind of it's kind of fascinating. And this gets uh, you know to the work that whether wherever you sit that Powell's been doing is like the mobilization that's happened economically over the last year is fascinating. Now I shall pause. No, so I want to shout out this article. It's in the Overshoot, and it's by Matthew C. Klein. It's called Equality, Interest Rates, Aging, and the Role of Central Banks. Yeah, I, I like some themes here. You're about to get me really fired up, and we'll just see if you like this or not. So when you start talking about inequality, which amazingly we talk about a lot on the show, that makes me think of this uh, great research that came out of the Institute for Financial Studies this week. It's about the impact of parents' wealth on a child's wealth, basically. So let me throw some facts your way, and then I want to get your thoughts, and I might run into my epic rant here, right? Fire away. Young adults with the wealthiest parents, and they used uh, the top fifth here, have wealth that is six times greater than those parents who were in the bottom fifth. So not a huge surprise. Makes sense. But just... Just let that sink in for a second. It It's basically saying that your parents' wealth is a much greater determination of your wealth than almost any other factor, right? Now, there's a lot of things that get co- commingled with that. There's uh, the support from a young age, including nutrition and childcare and other things. There's probably education levels. There's a bunch of uh, factors here, but I'll keep, I'll keep giving you some uh, facts here. So those with the... Parents in the wealthiest fifth are three times as likely uh, to be in the wealthiest fifth themselves than the average, than a child of average parental wealth. I'll try and say that in a in a more digestible way. So, if your parents have uh, are middle class, have average wealth, your chances of being in the top fifth when you're an adult is uh, three times less than if you come from parents in the top fifth of wealth. Keep going. Keep going. Children of wealthier parents are significantly more likely to be homeowners by the age of 30. So 65% of those people are homeowners at the age of 30. Again, if you go back to the Art of Nonconformity book, he's going to say that's a horrible thing. I'm joking. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a, a bunch of other facts like that. They're all along the same lines. But let me just pause and get, get your thoughts. What's what's the right way to say this? Because I don't want to I don't want to just say like straight up it's sucky. I think the level of inequality we need to figure out, right? Certainly, one of the things that in this country I'll say is possible is that you can move between different like income brackets and wealth brackets, and at the same time, we were talking about exponential versus linear before, yeah. right? It makes sense that all this compounding can happen over uh, over time and generation to generation that leads to more wealth. I mean, there's lots of stuff that comes along with that. You mentioned a couple. There's like nutrition, support, et cetera, early on. There's also having rappel ropes. Going back to uh, your, you not uh, starting your business or whatever, you know, this isn't necessarily you, but other people, right, might have that idea, might want to do it and actually might be ready to do it. But if you don't have like the, the, the risk that you'd have to take there, if you don't have a, um, like a trampoline or a net. Yeah, that safety right, blanket. Or, yeah, yep. Exactly. Safety like, that's a, it's a much bigger deal. Um, and a lot of wealth is generated by through entrepreneurial activity. So there's lots of stuff that goes into that. It's a stats make a lot of sense, man. Looking at them is always hard though. So where that gets me fired up actually goes to a couple podcasts Malcolm Gladwell did on our um, higher education system. 
And, and Diggles is making faces over there. He's not a huge Gladwell fan. So he broke down, I forget the name of the university, but a, a historically black college in the South who's doing an awesome job of graduating minority physics majors and a few other things. Like he interviewed the president and they talked about their strengths and weaknesses. And then they went back to the U.S. World News and Review uh, rankings and they tried to talk to people about why that university seems to be doing an amazing job serving these people that will really benefit from that type of degree, like better than Harvard, better than Yale, and why that's not showing up in the rankings in any way. And it turns out that the US World News and Report rankings are largely based on the size of the endowment. That's almost 50% of uh, what goes into the ratings. And then I think another 25 to 30% is basically reputational recognition with other college presidents. So it's like complete, it's a total survey. It's like, what do you think yep. is a good school? Rank them. So you have as much as 80% of the rankings that are, that are fairly arbitrary, like don't have anything to do with student outcomes, don't have anything to do with anything else. And you get these self-fulfilling feedback loops on the rankings front, then you self-fulfilling feedback loop on who gets accepted to the Ivy League schools. It's, I mean, let me just, let's not pretend it's not people of wealthy parents. It almost yeah. always is. And, and, and then the, because the wealthiest start there, and they have these reputation risk. Uh, if you graduate from Ivy League school, you probably make 20% more in your career, which means you start down this path to being the wealthiest Americans, which means you can give back to your elite institution, which means that endowment continues to grow, which means that rating continues to be good regardless of student outcomes, et cetera, et cetera, right? So this study, along with that breakdown of the education system and everything else we know, it just is frustrating to me at times like uh, so much of societal advancement is based on the foundation that you're born into rather than anything else and when you look at some of the i'll call it core principles that we talk about investing wise uh, when it comes to things like be consistent right follow a methodology but that kind of core like set of principles that becomes so much harder to do when you are scrounging, right? When you're trying to survive. And it's the most difficult part is it's most important when that's, that's who you are and it's hardest, right? When, when that's yes. where you are. But you, you have to break the cycle because to your point, the cycle in it, like it naturally will just be self-reinforcing. And so that goes back to your safety net point. And listen, I think I'm probably getting too philosophical here or something. I still think America is the best country in the world. And, and absolutely, there's opportunities here. I mean, my uh, grandfather was a janitor and like that m my dad built on that and hopefully I built on that. And, and there is opportunity over generation, but it just, it, the, sometimes that climbing up that ladder takes longer than I wish it would. And I think the reason why I go to this Gladwell critique of the university rate ranking system is I see that as a, huge hindering factor. If you have great schools that are serving underprivileged communities at reasonable costs that never get that kind of reward for the great work they're doing and have the ability to climb in the rankings and increase their prestige, that also hinders, it just slows that cycle down. It makes climbing up that ladder that much slower than it actually should be. 
Agreed. And uh, Dillard University, the name of the school. I just uh, looked that up. Yeah, there we go. It's it's very non-binary. Even the the analogy of a of a, or metaphor. I don't know what the difference is of the latter isn't true for it's kind of like um, there are groups of people that are in a cave and America makes it possible, theoretically possible, that if you wander through the caves, you can get to like the house with the, all the lights on it. Like you can you can get there where some places you can't. And then there are groups of people that are in the house. Like you're just like you're in, you're in the house. You have to climb the ladder like there's a ladder you have to climb. Yeah. And some yeah. folks are like, where's the ladder? Like I'm well, in this. People are in the penthouse, right? And that's what this study. Exactly. This study just says if you start in the penthouse, it's hard to fall down the ladder, um, right? The, the financial <laughs> study. <laughs> but it's possible. I mean, I'm not. I'm not claiming it's unless you're buying actually. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, fascinating stuff. And I don't have any of the answers here. But I just I could think about this stuff all day, and sometimes I get fired up about mm. it because it doesn't seem fair. But it depends on your perspective. I mean, if if we were in Afghanistan right now, America would seem like the haven that it is, and it would seem so much more fair that it almost wouldn't matter. It because in many countries around the world, to continue your analogy, I mean, you're in you're below grade. And, and in some places without a ladder to climb out. Where that this brings me back to the, that Wall Street Journal article is the risk-taking, risk-seeking. Uh, and I think a part of that also, this is not what, what Jason mentions in the article, but I think a part of that is understanding where success comes from is really, really critical. And if you don't understand that part of your success, one success, I'm not talking to you, but if you don't understand that part of your success is that you were on this flywheel that was already going and you attribute it mm -hmm. to other aspects, then you can lean hard into the wrong stuff, right? It gets back to, the reason I bring it back to this article is if you, if you think that over the last year, the fact that you're buying SPAC options is why you're being successful, then you're gonna be wholly surprised when your SPAC options go to zero. But if you understand yeah. that there's this wave, like you're effectively riding a wave over the past year, potentially, and you, you attribute what the system is doing to it, then that can help you to minimize risk and, um, and therefore, I'd say optimize reward as you go forward. Yeah. I think the reason you keep coming to, back to that article, I'm pretty sure Jason's like paying you because every, everything we've mentioned all episode is just like, oh, and that, that reminds me of Jason's article. And funny that you mentioned that because that reminds me of this article that I read by Jason. <laughs> oh, man. This article, it, it seriously sat with me for days. I read this and it like, it really it sat with me for a long time. So, sorry. You know what, Dugas? That reminds me of this article I read by Jason <laughs> Swag. It's really good. You should check it out this week. Five bucks a month. Um, anything else in your fishbowl today? Uh, no, th those are the two big things for me. All right, folks, keep the listener mail coming. Uh, we love hearing from you. Hit us up on Twitter at Skippy Dougals, skippydougals at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope all is well in your world. Peace. <laughs>